This is Minister in the Making, episode number 21. I'm B.T. Irwin. This is a podcast for church people, from the ones who stand in the pulpit every Sunday to the ones who sneak into the back pew every once in a while. And the mission of this podcast is to give church people a behind-the-scenes, inside look at life and Christian ministry. Your guide is my dad, Travis Irwin, who shares the stories and wisdom he collected from almost 50 years in full-time church work. The year was 1994, and Dad was 13 years into his ministry to the Steele Avenue Church of Christ in Ashland, Ohio. The congregation was growing, Dad's ministry was cruising, and then something happened that changed the direction of all that. Dorothy Abels died. Now, who was Dorothy Abels? Most people around the congregation knew that she was a ladies' Bible class and Sunday school teacher. She was kind, but quiet. Outgoing, but not outspoken. Just another woman doing what she could to help out around the church. But Dad knew something about Dorothy that most people didn't know. She prayed for the church. And not just a word here and there, once in a while. She prayed for the church every day. Sometimes for hours. She prayed for the members of the church by name. And she prayed for Dad and his ministry. When Dorothy died... Dad felt like something changed in his body. He said the air in the church seemed to change. Dorothy and her prayers were gone. And when Dad lost Dorothy's prayers, he began a decade that would end with him losing his ministry and losing his way. In this episode, Dad will talk about just how crucial one quiet person in her prayers can be to the life of a church. I call this one, I've Never Met Another Dorothy Abels. Okay, Dad, so right off the top here, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we released an episode just because of the way that our schedules have been um, with your treatments and selling your house in Athens and uh, things going on um, here in my life. So uh, right here at the top of this episode, I wonder if you could um, just give folks the news in your life right now, how are your treatments going? Uh, what's new with those? How are you doing? Uh, well, uh, what I learned last week, <laughs> if you want to, I can give you a lot of details real quick. I need more salt in my diet. I thought salt was bad for you, but I need more salt. The main thing is uh, I will be on chemotherapy every week for another three months. And then after that, it sounds like I'll be on chemotherapy until the day I die. And there's no cure. There's nothing that's going to get rid of this. But the chemotherapy will hold it at bay. Hmm. Of course, there are questions like, well, does it have to be It's every week? If it's every week, does we ever get a break in there? I don't know. Will it be weaker than it is right now? I don't know. A lot of things we don't know. But I'll have another CT scan in three months. I'll be able to answer more of those hmm. questions. But I learned a ton of stuff last week. I just didn't know. And your mother and I come up with questions. That's how we learn. Yeah. Tell us, kind of, but tell us the good news because you had a you had some good news uh, a week or two ago. Yeah, uh, a couple of weeks ago we had a CT scan. Um, they did that because they thought there was an issue, and there wasn't an issue. There was a good issue if there is an issue, and that is uh, there are five tumors. the The one that shrank the least shrank fifty three percent. The one that shrunk the most was sixty six percent. And so what that tells us is that chemotherapy is working. Uh, they will never, ever use immunotherapy again. Um, I wish they would, but they can't. Uh, it could probably kill me. So chemotherapy, chemotherapy is working. Let's just keep taking chemo for as long as I can. That's where we are on everything, pretty much. How come they're not going to do immunotherapy? Uh, immunotherapy can uh well you know first of all i had a reaction to it uh, when i took the full tilt you had to take full tilt you can't spread it out over three weeks or several weeks when i took it that one time it made me sicker than a dog it had sores in my mouth and what the uh, chemo what um, cutruda or any of those immunotherapies can do is do a similar thing to other organs in your body in particular mm. uh, your bowel and your colon mm. 
when that happens, you're in a heap big trouble. Okay. So Dr. Murray says, you're just going to avoid that totally. And you seem to be doing okay on chemo. So we'll just keep plugging along. So there we are. Good. Thanks for the update. And um, you, uh, you sold, you finally sold your house in Athens, Tennessee, months I, after you put it on the market. So you got to feel pretty good about uh, being debt-free, right? Finally got a title, a new title. That someone had lost, someone had lost the title to the house. We got a new one that cost a little bit and we uh, sold it, signed it off. It's gone. It's not okay. ours anymore. Don't worry about it anymore. Good. Uh, people always ask about you. That's the most common question that I get these days. Everywhere oh, I go, church, family, friends, everyone wants to know how you're doing. Uh, everyone wants to know what they can pray for. So what kind of prayers are you asking for these days? Hey, I'm always open to a cure, uh, even though the doctors say there's no such animal. But we have a higher power. We, uh, I trust my doctors, but I have a higher power. His name is Jesus Christ. And the other thing is, if they want to, you know, just pray that I can pray that I can handle this chemotherapy. What's happened? I lost my ability to smell last time I had cancer. It never, it never came back. Hmm. I've also now lost my ability to taste anything. And it, it, it may never come back because I'm going to be on chemo the rest of my life. Hmm. That's a personal thing. It's kind of a, a selfish thing, but I, I miss tasting food. I, I've lost my appetite because I can't test, taste, taste the food. And so it just narrows it down to just to a few things. And your mom, you know, I'm driving your mother kind of up the wall because I can't eat all the things that she's fixing. So yeah. I can get my taste back. That'd be wonderful. But, you know, pray that this chemotherapy will continue to work and put this uh, cancer to rest or keep it from spreading anymore. It's, it's not a good situation, but your prayers mean so much and I appreciate them so very much. Well, you've got them coming from all over the place. Like I said, that's the most common question that people ask me these days, wow. uh, everywhere I go. I got a text message uh, yesterday from someone in the heartland of Ohio that I haven't seen in two years. Yeah. Um, not a not from Ashland either, and I don't even know how he knows that you're going through this right now. But out of the blue, he sent me a text message and asked, "How's your dad doing?" Yeah. <laughs> Anything well, I can pray for? So I appreciate that. Um, okay, so speaking of prayer, that's a good segue. I'm going to set this up for us. We've talked about it before, but uh, in case anyone who has been following along has forgotten, when we started doing the series of podcasts on your years in Ashland, Ohio, I asked you and mom to make a timeline of the major events that happened um, each year that you were there, 20, almost 23 years that you ministered to the uh, Steel Avenue Church of Christ there. And so you gave me this timeline and you did put something down almost every year. These are the major events uh, of, of our 23 years at the Steel Avenue Church of Christ. And uh, I mentioned before that there were only a couple of names that you put on your timeline, a couple of, of names of church members. Uh, one was John Kerr, and we did an entire episode where we, we talked about the importance of friendships to ministers because John uh, and his wife, Jan, befriended you and mom, and they were a big part of um, your first few years there in Ashland. And you said that they actually set the tone for your ministry the rest of the time that you were there, even though they moved away uh, not too long after y'all moved to Ashland. The other name that you put on your timeline was Dorothy Abels. And she's come up before uh, in a couple of other episodes. Uh, she came up in the episode where we talked about when you first moved to Ashland. And uh, you told how Dorothy took it on herself to be the welcome wagon, so to speak, for the Irwin family in Ashland, Ohio. Um, but on your timeline, you circled the year 1994 and uh, wrote Dorothy Abel's died. And that, um, that indicated something really important to me. Like if you would look at 23 years of ministry at one church and a lot of people were born and a lot of people died in those 23 years. But the one death that you felt like you needed to circle 
and mentioned by name was Dorothy Abel's death in 1994. So I, uh, I felt like this is something we really ought to explore more in depth. And um, we've talked a little bit about Dorothy um, on past episodes, but we're going we're gonna to really zero in on her story and what it meant to the church and what it meant to you. Uh, in this conversation today. So uh, to start with, do you know much about Dorothy's backstory? Um, how long had she been a member at the Steel Avenue Church of Christ before you came? Uh, maybe you know a little bit about where she grew up and how she came to Christ and uh, a little bit about her family uh, before the Irwins got to Ashland? Well, she's originally from Oklahoma and um the life of me right now, I can't think about where in Oklahoma. Um, I know Graydon, her husband, uh, spent some time in Chicago where his dad was an x-ray technician. How they ever got together, I just don't know. I don't remember. Um, but they come from two very different backgrounds. But her background is is uh, Oklahoma. And I'm trying to think, I'm thinking of Blackburn, Oklahoma, or something like that. And the next thing you know, she's way over in Ohio, which is a completely different culture and almost a completely different world. And um, I would say Dorothy and Graydon had been in Ashland uh, for several years. I don't think anything like 20, maybe, you know, five or 10. And uh, he was teaching there. So that may, have been, that may have been the pull. He got a job there teaching. And his parents followed him or were there as well. That's all I can tell you about Dorothy. Uh, she's from Oklahoma. She raised, so they raised uh, how many kids? Five? Do they have five kids? Uh, four boys and a girl. Yeah. Four boys and a girl. And they were all grown by the time we got to Ashland in 1981. Is that right? I mean, they might have been college age. Some of them might have been college age, right. you know, but they were, they were they pretty were well grown. They're pretty much gone. Uh, so, so they may have been in Ashland for a lot longer than what I said, but uh, yeah, one, most of them were in um, mission work. Right. So that's what I was setting up here. So we know that Dorothy raised her kids in Ashland right. and you touched on that a little bit in the previous episode because uh, the Abel's boys and the Kerr boys uh, in particular, they, there were a lot of Kerr boys and there were a lot of Abel's boys and they all, you know, had some hijinks together and they were all good friends. Yeah. Um, but the Abel's kids uh, ended up in ministry and mission work. Right. And uh, I think that's important. So Graydon, their dad was a teacher, a uh, math teacher, right? At the junior high right. school, I think. Right. Uh, Dorothy, was she a homemaker? Was she at home? She may have worked outside the home at one time, but she was a homemaker. Okay. But their kid, their kids all ended up in ministry and mission work. And I wonder if you, if Dorothy ever told you why she thought that happened, or if you have any observation about the way that they raised their kids that would lead them to answer the calling to ministry. I think your mother shared this story with us in one of our episodes. And that is uh, Dorothy told the story one time that she always wanted to be, she always wanted to be involved in missions. Hmm. And even after getting married, uh, she still was not in missions. She didn't do mission, missionary work. Um, she may have dabbled in some, some things that are kind of related to that. And she was very involved in church work, teaching classes and being involved in a lot of different things, but never in mission work. And if you remember the story, and if our listeners remember the story, instead of Dorothy becoming a missionary, uh, Alice got involved in mission work. Jay and Kathy, Jay, the son, got involved in mission work. Um, Jack was a, a preacher. Now, Tom and Tim uh, didn't do mission work, but they were highly involved in, you know, serving as, as Christian men and their families as well. So, you know, you got to get a lady here who wants to be a missionary god says no to that but she raises five children that are strong christian men and a woman and three of them are married to missionaries and do mission work 
And so that's kind of how it turned out. And so, you know, God answers prayer in different ways. And I think she was pretty happy with the way it, uh, it actually came to pass. Mm -hmm. I remember that story too. Do you know anything at all about her upbringing or how she came to, to Christ um, and how that sure. led into her desire to be a missionary? Your mom may know that story, but uh, she was a member of the church out, out West in Oklahoma. I would say, well, did I, did I meet her mom? I don't remember meeting her mom. Maybe I did, but um, I think her mom was gone when we met her. Dorothy, but Dorothy was a traditional, what you now would call a traditional Christian, uh, relative, relatively uh, conservative, uh, for some reason, just mission-minded. I think sometimes children that are brought up in a mission-minded home or a mission-minded congregation become mission-minded themselves, and I think that's probably what happened to her. Mm -hmm. I think she brought that kind of thinking over to Ashland, Ohio, whenever she showed up. And that church was a very mission-minded church for a long, long time. Yeah. It may still be that way today. I don't know. You said that uh, Jack Gladwell, who was uh, at the Steel Avenue Church of Christ in the 70s, for most of the 70s, uh, you said that Jack was evangelistic. That was, yeah. his, that was his character, and that was that was his passion is was evangelism or outreach and so you mentioned before that the culture of the steel avenue church of christ was always a culture of evangelism and outreach it it was just part of the dna of the congregation so you've mentioned jack's work before and how that might have been influential on what the church became by the time you got there and continued that but Dorothy being mission-minded the way that she was and and then she obviously didn't come to the Steel Avenue Church of Christ in a ministry position or a leadership position uh she came as a wife and a mother but um tell me about how she first uh made an impression on you when you when you came to the Steel Avenue Church of Christ what were your first few encounters with her like and what did you think of her as you got to know her my first impression was the first time i met her and most people remember the story i got an invitation by graden to come over and talk to the elders one saturday about the possibility of our leaving caddis ohio and going to ashland ohio so i found the Abel's home uh drove from caddis up to uh, ashland found their home and I was supposed to be there in time for lunch, which I was. And we sat down and had a meal. Um, it was the very, a very simple meal. I can't tell you what it was right now. That's a long time ago. Um, they had a very simple table. The table was in the kitchen. It was squoze up in a corner. It was a rectangular table. It had X legs on the bottom of it. It had a formica top on it. And it had bench seats on either side of it. Now, one side of the table was up against the wall. Uh, and there was writing on the flamica top. And what it was, those are little notes that the children would leave for their mom or the mom would leave for the children. But all that, that family always ate together. That would have been, uh, what, seven people around that table. Yeah, wow. And uh, she was just, uh, and she told, you know, asked about children, asked about this, asked about that. Uh, the house uh, was not uh, was not a big house. It was a small house. It was not a it was not the kind of house you'd find in better uh, housekeeping or any of those HGTV kind of houses. It was just very plain uh, on one of the uh, doorposts were the measurements of the children as they grew. It was marked with hash marks up the up the door part. Um, Everything in the house was older and used, well used, nothing, nothing new, very few things new. Fresh paint was not in there, had an old stove, old refrigerator. Main thing is that what was important to them did not appear to be a house and nice flooring and nice paint and nice carpet and a nice fancy kitchen table now that their children had left. It was pretty much keeping things the way they were. They were very traditional and they were 
they loved they loved uh, the things they had always had in their lives. And Dorothy, Dorothy was not a show off. She was not presumptuous. She was not trying to impress anyone with how smart her kids with or were or how much money they had or how fancy a clothes they wore or how fancy their house was. It was just, you see what you get. And they we talked about missions. We talked about the church. And we talked about uh, uh, different ministries in the church. So I mean, from the get-go, uh, I was impressed with their with their simplicity and their being down to earth and uh, and just very kind. I don't want to use the word simple; it doesn't sound right. But kind. Uh, they weren't loud um, necessarily at that time. Greg was known for being a little bit loud, but Dorothy wasn't. But just very, very kind, very um, Christian, very patient, uh, very you know very kingdom-centered people. What are the, what are the things that, that Dorothy did for the church that people knew about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, she taught a ladies Bible class that was public because that was constantly, constantly promoted that every Sunday when we said, ladies, don't forget the ladies Bible class on Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, whatever it was. And we put it in the bulletin. So everybody knew about that. Uh, uh, both of them were very good about visit visiting members of the church. Uh, she was very good about having people into her home. Uh, you would not know about that until you got invited and you got to go mm -hmm. into her home or until they came to see you. Uh, she would check on other, she would check on widows. She would take things to people, little gifts. Uh, she would uh, send cards to people, birthday cards, anniversary cards, get well cards. She'd call people on the phone and check on them. Um, I'm sure she did the Lord's Supper. A lot of ladies there did that, and she did that. Um, she was good about going up to strangers at church and greeting them, inter introducing herself to them, making them feel welcome. Uh, very, very much, uh, there were both of them, but you know, you talk, you're talking about Dorothy. She was very much open to going up to total strangers that were visiting on Sunday and saying, come home with us. Hmm. And that's when people took, took you home with them and fed, mm -hmm. fed you. Mm -hmm. And she had some things that she fixed every Sunday, just in case that happened. So hmm. there are some of the things and uh, taught in vacation Bible school. Um, um, there, that, that's about all I can think of right now, but it kind of gives you an, an idea. What are some things she did for the church that people didn't know about? They did not know about. Well, if they didn't know about it, I probably didn't either. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even begin to remember, even though I know uh, that she... She really, she really didn't say much about her children. She really did not say much about the mission work they were doing. Uh, she did with us, but not with a lot of other people. She was very supportive of them. Um, I would say that Graydon and Dorothy were very um, uh, financially supportive of their children as much as they could be because they were on fixed income after a while. But Dorothy also spent a lot of time in prayer. And that's what a lot of people probably didn't know about. Prayer was precious to her. It was her greatest weapon uh, in, in the battle against Satan. Uh, she prayed for me. She prayed for sick people. She prayed for missions. She prayed for all kind of stuff. Uh, she had a great prayer life, and only other women could hear that if she led a prayer in the ladies' Bible class. What do you know about her her prayer life? I mean, what can you? Uh, you said that she she prayed a lot. She had a, a rich prayer life. What 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 do you know about how she prayed? Not a whole lot, other than I know she was praying for me, praying for mm -hmm. our family. When she died, I could feel those prayers go away, and that was kind of a scary thing, scary mm -hmm. time in our lives. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, what do you think Dorothy felt her calling was in the congregation? To be hospitable, hmm. 
to be a um, we didn't we didn't use the we didn't use the word mentor back in the good old days back in the eighties, but she was a mentor. She was definitely a mentor to your mother. Uh, I think the two big things that she did were there may be three things. One is she was very hospitable. She was a great teacher, and she was a great encourager. And, uh, and of course, I already said prayer. She's a prayer warrior as well. She filled up her time with a lot of really good stuff that really blessed the church and blessed individual people. You may hear the garbage truck in the background now. It's right outside. <laughs> they, they picked my house to like crank up the, you know, hydraulic compactor. Yeah. Um, so talk about, you said that uh, Dorothy prayed for you. Yeah. Um, what was her, I mean, did she have any other practices that you saw that were especially supportive of you and your work or the other people who are doing ministry at the church? Um, that's, that's a good question. Um, I had people send me notes. I don't remember Dorothy sending me notes. And that's not a, that's not a criticism. She's, she may be more likely to come to me and, 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 and say, you did a good job this morning, or we, pre, or we love and appreciate you. You're working hard. We appreciate it. She was more like that. She did not give me an overabundance mm -hmm. of that. Um, and I think she, in her own way of thinking, thought if you give somebody too much of that, they're either going to take you for granted or they're going to think you're kidding them. Mm. So when I heard from, when I heard from Dorothy Abels, uh, when she was seeking to encourage me uh, or pray for me or anything like that, I, I knew she was serious and she meant what she said. And uh, I took it very seriously and that made me appreciate it a lot more. Um, she was not the kind of person that would come out the door after church and say, nice sermon preacher. And she didn't do that. A lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying she didn't do that. That was not her MO. If she ever said anything, it was uh, about something specific that I said or something specific that I did. So I knew she was serious and it wasn't, it wasn't that often. It wasn't wasn't once a week it wasn't twice a week mm. once a month maybe once every couple of months and so i took her i took her at her word i took her very seriously mm -hmm. there was a a woman uh there's a woman who goes to church with me and i've known her for, for more, 20 years now and uh every once in a while kind of like dorothy she has sought me out to pay me a compliment what I, i'll call a compliment um, you know, I spoke uh, before communion a few years ago, and she tracked me down to tell me that I should write what I, I should write and publish what I said that morning. And uh, she's an English professor, so that meant a lot. And she's wow. brought it up a couple times since. And yeah. back when I was a lot younger, she would see me around and she would encourage, she would pay me a compliment of some kind um and um encourage me and whenever she did that i felt 10 feet tall and bulletproof it was just right. it was just fresh wind in my sails i felt like i could go out and do anything and yep. she's not a, a friend she's an acquaintance at best but when she you know when when she said something to me uh encouraging it really it really worked and i could I could coast on that for a little while. So um, how important that is to, has that been to you as a minister to have people like Dorothy Abels um, in, your, in your life? And what kind of encouragement has been most meaningful to you in your work with, uh, with congregations? Um. It's, it's very important. It, it's like you said, the, it's like fresh wind in your sails. Um, uh, it keeps you going. Sometimes we, sometimes we get discouraged because we're criticized as preachers. Sometimes we just get discouraged because no one says anything either way. Mm, yeah. 
So we get a little paranoid and think, well, I must be doing a lousy job. Mm-hmm. So it's advantageous uh, to the preacher if he has, uh, you don't have to have a, a lot of people, just a handful of people that are just, you know, honest. I won't, I won't say blunt, blunt's not the word, but they're just honest. And when he does a good job, they come up and say, you put a lot of thought into that. And I appreciate that. You've touched my life and you've changed my thinking. And I appreciate that. Or you uh, organized the vacation Bible school. It went so smoothly. It just it went so well. We, we enjoyed being a part of that. The children definitely enjoyed it. Thank you for what you've done. Or um, I appreciate so much the visit you paid. You paid my mother this past week when she was in the hospital. That meant a lot to her. Uh, she was surprised that any preacher would come to see her, especially a preacher that didn't even know her. Mm-hmm. Those little things add up. Mm-hmm. Working 45 to 55 or 60 hours a week and you're on call 24-7, you get physically and mentally and emotionally tired. And if you don't have some kind of reinforcement out there somewhere every once in a while, other than your wife, your mother was very good at that, don't misunderstand. Uh, you, uh, you can... Uh, Get, get more tired you kind of get discouraged and uh wonder if you're really making any any headway or, or doing anybody any good and uh and even though the worst of preachers have something to offer you know in some way uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of the factors if, if people like you if they like you they're going to go out of the way to say something to you mm-hmm. some people don't know their preacher very well for a lot of different reasons sometimes but then sometimes it's their fault sometimes it's the preacher's fault sometimes it's nobody's fault but, you know, they just don't care for them. And no matter what you do, you, you're never going to measure up. Uh, a lot of people say, I don't want to bother the preacher. A lot of people say, well, he doesn't, he doesn't need that. We pay him for that. Well, I tell you, I'd rather have the words of encouragement than with the money. Hmm. Money's necessary to eat and to raise kids. Uh, but uh, those words of encouragement go a long, 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 long ways and they should come they should come relatively frequently yeah so dorothy uh encouraged you but what you said is that she didn't do it so often that you didn't notice it anymore oh that's just dorothy being dorothy it you could tell that when she paid you a compliment that it it you meant something to her in a special way something you said she noticed the effort you put into it and so she would she would talk about the value of that the other right. thing that you mentioned more than once in these conversations is is that dorothy prayed right. for you and prayed for your ministry right and it sounds like you don't know how she did that but how do you know that how do you know that she did that because she told me ah and her husband may have told me. Yeah. And so, uh, the only, yeah, the only way I know someone's specifically praying for me by name is for them to tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about praying for me, we're talking about praying all the time, not just yeah. once a year. Yeah. Or once every five years or one, a couple, three times a year. It was a, a constant thing. Mm-hmm. And she prayed not just for me, she prayed for, for my ministry. I'm sure she prayed for you children. I'm, pray, I'm sure she prayed for, for your mom because your mom had to tolerate all the things I went through and had to tolerate me. And preacher's wives need a lot of prayer. Uh, I'm sure she prayed for my preaching, for my teaching, for my Bible studies I had with people, uh, for my counseling, for my office administration, uh, for my visitation. Uh, just physical, physical and emotional strength. I'm sure she... I'm sure she did all those things because Dorothy had depth hmm. and she had sons and family that were involved in ministry. Her husband was an elder. So I'm, sh- I, I'm just, I would, you know, did I ever hear her pray those things? No. Did she ever tell me she prayed for those things? Not that I can remember, but I'd um, be one to bet my life on that, that she prayed yeah. for those, those kinds of things. How much do you think she prayed for the church? I think every day. Yeah. Every day. How much time would you guess Dorothy devoted to prayer? I would say hours. Hmm. I don't know if it was hours a day, but it'd be hours a week and hours a month. 
Um, I would I would not know. I would not know. She spent a lot of time in study. She spent a lot of time just doing what we call churchy stuff. One of those things was prayer. I never I never thought to ask her how many hours a day do you pray. I hate to ask people that question anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure she I'm sure she spent what she thought was necessary to get those needs and requests out that were upon her heart. Yeah. What do you think she prayed for the church specifically? I think she prayed for the leadership. I think she prayed that the leadership would uh, be united and would be mission minded and would feed the flock, keep up with the flock. I think she prayed uh, for the, de the deacons and uh, the ministries of which they served, uh, the Bible class teachers, that they would teach the truth and love, that they would prepare well. I'm sure she prayed for vacation Bible schools, gospel meetings, revivals, missionaries. I'm sure she prayed for missionaries by name, uh, uh, pray specifically for their safety and welfare, for them to teach a lot of people, a lot of people come to Christ. Uh, she prayed for the sick. Uh, we had people in the church that had cancer other than her. I'm sure she prayed for them, prayed for the mothers of children, prayed for those children. Uh, she was very much into teaching uh, young women how to be Christian mothers. So I know she was doing that. She prayed for her class. Uh, she gladly prayed for anyone that you wanted her to pray for. Uh, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. She prayed for herself that she'd be more like Christ. She had cancer twice? Twice, yeah. Okay, what kind of cancer was it? I want to say lymphoma, but that doesn't sound right. Um, your mother would remember. She had it for a total of 14 years. She had bone marrow mm. transplant twice. The first time it worked, but the cancer came back. Mm. It took her. So she had cancer as long as you knew her. Well, we were there 22 and a half years. Or much well, she died in 94. You met her in 81. So that'd be the majority of the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me about uh, the end of her life. You were there, right? right. This was in 94. Um, how did it happen? Well, Dorothy had uh, survived the first uh, bone marrow transplant. She went into another. Anytime you go to bone marrow transplant, they take you down as far as you can go without killing you and cleanse your uh, red blood cells and put them back into you. Um, I didn't see Dorothy a whole lot because her immune system was, did, was non-existent. But I would check in ever so often. She finally let me start coming back and it pretty much we saw the writing on the wall and that is, you know, she didn't have a whole lot of time. So I would definitely keep up with her through Graydon. I would, every time I wanted to pick up Graydon to take him out to visit when he was available, I pretty much went inside or went inside every so often and, and saw her, talked to her, prayed over her. I didn't want to make her sick. So I had to be really careful. Uh, but um, he would get her up every day, get her ready for the day. And uh, when, when she was, dying when she's on her last breath she was sitting in a rocking chair that was in her in her living room she was sitting in the rocking chair and she was very 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 weak she knew i was there and i went over to her and spoke to her and just talked a little bit and uh waited for her to respond and uh just to be honest with you i don't remember if she responded or not she may have responded with hello or something like that but in a matter, this is probably in the afternoon, early afternoon, uh, pretty much after that, she just slipped away, stopped breathing. Mm -hmm. It was just Graydon and myself and her. Mm -hmm. So you were there. Yeah. I've, I've been present when a lot of folks have died. How, um, how did her death affect you? Well, She's not the only one whose death affected me. And what I mean by that is uh, hurt me. And she did not, she did not die to hurt me. I'm, what I mean by the word hurt is um, 
there are people there are people that died that it just really hurt. It made me grieve a lot. And I felt like I lost a really good friend, a, a confidant, um, a supporter, someone who really cared for me and loved me and really took an interest in me. So that's that's kind of how I felt when she died. It just felt like I'd lost a really good friend. And there was a big hole in my heart when she left this earth. I thought I'll never see her again, at least not here. So I would, I would, I would miss her. I miss seeing her at church. I'd miss seeing her in her home. I would miss seeing her. Uh, your mother would miss her in Bible class. Um, we would just miss her because she wasn't there. It's just one day she's there, one day she's not there. Miss, miss her prayers. We've already talked about that. We, well, we miss her words of encouragement. Miss her cards. Not only me, but a lot of other people who miss those things, those kinds of things too. How did her death affect the church? Well, you'd have to ask a lot of other people. Um, I think the church, I think the church um, lost something they never could get back, lost somebody they never could get back. Uh, it, it left a hole in their heart too. Um, it, it changed to me, you know, some people would disagree and that's okay. We're just talking about a matter of opinion and a matter of personal perspective. I think the spirit of the church began to change. And what I mean by that is that um, the, the people that had established that congregation and grown up in that congregation were leaving us and they were taking their spirit of love, their spirit of uh, optimism, uh, their spirit of Christ, uh, things like that. They took that with them. They took their prayers with them. And so when they were gone, they left the rest of us. And I'm, I'm just saying to you, um, there, there has not, I've never met a Darth, another Dorothy Abels. And, uh, and I've been around them for a few years. I've worked in a lot of churches, worked with a lot of different people. Um, I've worked with some really fine people. Your mother has always had a mentor, except in one place, of very fine Christian women or a Christian woman. And Dorothy was one of the outstanding ones. You said something a while back about when Dorothy died, uh -huh. you felt a change. And I'm not quoting you but I'm almost quoting you. You said you felt a change in your body. You felt a physical change um, when, she, when she was gone and her prayers were gone. Yeah. Um, talk about that. It's not a hocus pocus kind of thing. It's just, uh, uh, I just didn't, I didn't feel her prayers anymore. I mean, you know, um, during the week, I was less likely to feel it, even though I needed it. But on Sundays, uh, I didn't. I didn't feel the the, the strength that I'd had before. Uh, the enthusiasm I'd had before. The readiness that I'd had before, and I wasn't always ready the way I should have been. But she and there's some other ladies that prayed for me as well. But I I, I could feel there was a change there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, it wasn't a, a miserable feeling. It just wasn't a good feeling. And um, I just knew I needed to, needed to move on. That's all I needed. You know, I needed to pray more for myself and just move on. And how do you think? Um, do you think that you were the only one who felt that change? Or do you, do you think other people in the church felt it as well? Uh, I don't remember discussing this with anybody else, maybe other than your mom. Mm -hmm. She may have felt a little, a little different. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I don't. I just don't know. How did, um, you know, do, do you remember anyone from the congregation making any observations about what it was like without Dorothy there anymore or expressing how they missed um, having her there? Well, there was the normal 
you know, we're going to miss her mm-hmm. or we miss her. I miss her class. I miss seeing her on Sunday morning. I miss, uh, uh, I miss her words of encouragement. I used to get a card from her every once in a while. People miss that. And that's, that, that's part of her, her MO. You said that um, when we've talked about this in the past, when we first started looking at the timeline, um, you indicated that when Dorothy died, that was a turning point for you personally. Yeah. It was a turning point for the church. And so you indicated that in your 23 years with the Steel Avenue Church of Christ, there you hit your stride, you said at about the 10 year mark. That's when you really started to come into your own and hit your stride. Uh, that would that would have been in the early 90s. And then Dorothy died in 1994. And so after she died, there was a nine-year stretch where uh, the church continued to grow and there was a lot of activity, but there was a change. Um, there was a change in the church and there was a change in you. Uh, and these are my words, not yours now but from her death until uh you had to resign um or die (laughs) basically is that the the nine years after her death you began kind of a downward spiral um into burnout and depression and exhaustion and eventually just total collapse um so what was it that made Dorothy so important to, to you and the church? What, why was her death that, that turning point, that inflection point? Uh, we got, we got to be careful that we don't put Dorothy up on a pedestal. And I got to be careful that I don't put her up on a pedestal and say, she was the only one that prayed. Mm-hmm. She was the only one that worked. That's just not the case. Did she have a, a tremendous influence and a big influence on myself and the church? The answer is yes. She wasn't the only one. Uh, I, I mentioned this a while ago. We can say, Dad, that Dorothy is representative of the people who okay. who prayed and supported you. Okay. Um, she's the, the example that comes to mind. And her death in 94 really was a big loss for you and the church. Yeah, um, yeah. So well, don't but, don't be timid about don't be timid about leaving anybody out. I don't think anybody thinks you're leaving anyone out, but no. I'm you know. not trying to leave anybody out. I'm just stating a fact. You know, churches churches have uh, have a cycle. They start, and then they grow, then they age, and the the growth cycle of a church is seventy five years. And so here, you know, these people like Dorothy had been one had been young at one time, and they. The church had been established in Nankin, moved to Fourth and Carroll and in Ashland, then moved out to Still Avenue. And it, while all this is going on, people are getting older. And uh, the people that are getting older are, to me, a very special group of people that are very positive, very mission-minded. Uh, they seem to really love each other. They seem to really love the people in the community. And so you had, you had that spirit in the church. Uh, part of that is the preacher, part of the Part of, part of us, the elders' wives, but it's there, and I just so happened to be fortunate enough to come come in there in 1981 and be a part of that too, and see that, and witness that. But as a result of being there 22 and a half years, I saw a lot of these same people get older and start just fading away or, or passing away. And so, what I'm trying to say is that uh, the ones that had that that special spirit, that real sweet spirit they were leaving one at a time and Dorothy was one of those people. And so the, the face of the church and yet I think even the spirit of the church was evolving and we can get into, was it for the better or for the worse? Um, I think the church became less evangelistic. Uh, even though one of the elders reminded the other elders, he said, God cannot bless this church unless this church is evangelistic. He tried to bring it back to a certain extent. So, the point is, is that um, in the evolution of a congregation, there are several people, and you you go, you go through different 
ups and downs. You go through you know, different people move in, move out. People come, born, they they live, they die. People grow and mature, become mm -hmm. more useful to the kingdom. But Dorothy's death had an effect. I can't measure that. I don't know if anybody can measure that, but it affected. I don't know if it affected everybody. Some people in the church are indifferent to everybody, but the people that really knew her and loved her, they were affected by it. I, I, was affected by it. Yeah, I have a question here about uh, involvement. So your last ministry role was as an involvement minister right. at the Athens Church of Christ. And over the last you know, 10, 15 years of your ministry career involvement has been the thing that you emphasize the most um so um dorothy was involved yes oh boy. yes <laughs> my you know i was a kid so i was a teenager when she died um and i was a kid and i remember her mostly as a sunday school teacher okay and uh going to her house once in a while and her coming over to babysit us uh, once in a while. But I don't remember Dorothy as being a, uh, a gregarious person or a loud person, no. right? So when you think of leaders in a congregation, when you think of people that hold a congregation together, I think the easiest people to call to mind are the ones that are most visible, right. outspoken, right. Uh, speak up the most, maybe... Uh, most charismatic and correct me if i'm wrong but dorothy never struck me as being charismatic or loud the word that i think of when i think of dorothy is quiet yeah and i don't mean silent i just mean quiet quiet and gentle spirit yeah quiet and gentle and so she was involved for sure she taught class she taught lots of that. That's what I remember is her teaching class. You talked about how hospitable she was, not only to people in the congregation, but strangers who showed up on Sunday morning. Some of them ended up at her table that day for lunch. Uh, you mentioned the, the things that she did for, for our family, you know, privately. But back to this idea of involvement, her involvement in the church went way deeper and way further than volunteering to teach classes because everything you described today about the way that she prayed, the way that she studied, the way that she conducted her private life as a Christian, the way that she, you know, spoke a kind word to someone uh, at church, you know, off to the side. These are not things that involvement ministers these days, uh, Really, I mean, when I think about church now, the emphasis uh, is on sign up, sign up, sign up, volunteer, volunteer, you know, take on this job, take on this role. And it's like what you're doing during church time. You see what I mean? And when I think about my life in church these days, I don't see any, I don't see any encouragement or any teaching or any formation of people the way that Dorothy did involvement. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think so. You used the word depth a while ago to, to talk about her. And so I guess the two questions that come from that here at the end are, uh, one, would you agree that some of the most in involved people, and I'm putting up air quotes, you know, some of the most involved people may be the ones that go unnoticed yeah like it could be Dorothy's Absolutely. involvement what you saw was just the tip of the iceberg yeah what yeah. she was actually doing was hidden from everybody yeah yeah she didn't right? do it to be seen a man yeah and we've agreed today that what she did that we didn't see was so important to the church and so important to you as as the minister so important to the leaders of the church and most people probably never knew she was doing that. But when she died and she wasn't there anymore, you've okay. said there was a change. I see where you're going now. Uh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I take from that a, a message to the average person who's in the pew these days is yep. that you're way more important than you think. Yep. 
to the life of the church. Yep. You know, you may not teach a Sunday school class or you may not have a visible role, but what you do in private for the church may be the thing that breathes the most life into the church. And then the question, so the question then dad is, how do you teach that? (laughs) Can Dorothy Abel's, can people be taught to be like Dorothy in our churches? Or is that something that the spirit just has to get a hold of you and, and make you into that thing? Well, I think, I think a lot of her training went back to her mother. Yeah. And of course, you know, she probably, she probably had ladies that she looked up to it as she grew up in the local church that she looked up to and they set the pace. They set the example. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, maybe I have not lived long enough or seen enough. I'm not sure we see a lot of that anymore. The hospitality thing has kind of gone out the, out the window. Even though people take people out to eat, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, Dorothy opened up her home to a, an older man who was single and needed help. His name was Harry Mansfield. They opened up their home to Harry. Uh, no one, very few people knew about that. Also, Graydon and Dorothy opened up their home every Tuesday night for a small group study. They did that for over 14 years until she died. And those those kind of things, you 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 come you in particular the Bible study thing. You you got 15 or 20 people in there. You stop doing that. It makes a difference. So, as an involvement uh, minister, as an involvement uh, coach, I just want to I want to end on this on this uh, question, you know, when I look at church these days, it's going to sound pretty bad, but I see a mile wide and an inch deep. And uh, I, I was sitting around the dinner table on our patio a few weeks ago with, with another couple from our church and uh, their church of Christ lifers that grew up, okay. you know, in the church of Christ, uh, like I did. And and uh, she she was talking about how she remembers when she was a kid, the widows would you know give her a piece of candy or give her a penny, and yeah, yeah. that there was a lot of interaction between the generations. Um, the older people took an interest in her, and right. she remembers spending a lot of time around uh, other kids' parents and uh, and older folks in the church and. Um, she she was talking about how she just doesn't see that happening anymore and um and that that came to mind for me right now as as i was thinking about involvement because the kind of involvement that we encourage is getting involved in doing things during church time but and and that leaves a lot of people out i mean I think that leaves a lot of people out or it leaves people feeling like they have nothing to contribute. So my question to you as an involvement minister is how do we create an environment where more Dorothy Ableses can, can grow in our churches and be involved in quiet ways that are so crucial to the life of the church. It goes back to teaching. That's the only thing I know. Uh, you need strong examples. You need teaching. Um, you need mentoring. You, you need all that because all, all that, all that's been kicked to the wayside. A lot of people don't give candy and gum away anymore because it's just got a bad connotation to it. Yeah. Then um, there's COVID nineteen on top of that, and uh, a lot of people are just so busy they don't have a margin of time to spend with other people. I can, you know, there's the, there are cultural things in and outside the church that have affected everything. That doesn't mean we should give up. But there's, you know, uh, your papa did uh, did a thing years ago about the five talent, the four talent, and the one talent man, or five, two, and one talent man. And there's lots of room for the one talent person, hmm. even though they have more talents. They, have, they definitely have one talent, and they need to use what they've got. I think the what I, what I get from this conversation today about Dorothy Abels though, is most of what we talked about today All right. with her was her prayer life. Okay. It was her prayer life and it was her individual acts of hospitality to people. So yeah, she taught class as long as I knew her. She taught my class in Sunday school. 
She taught the ladies class. She did the Bible study. But that's not what we talked about today. Most of what we talked about today was how much she prayed. Right. And I, I have this image of her in my mind with the church bulletin open in front of her on her table. Wow. Like praying wow. over the names of the people that she sees. I don't know that she did that, but I can I can imagine yeah. her doing that. Oh, that's yeah. a believable image. Absolutely. And so uh, the, the point is that maybe her most important work, the most important work of all that made the greatest difference was not an official church volunteer role. Yeah. It was her choice to pray yeah. in her own living room, in her own house, in her own car, yeah. wherever she did that. And, um, and so one talent people who think all I can do is pray well, if, if what you say about Dorothy is true, and when she died and her prayers stopped, and it made you physically felt a change, and there was a change after she died, then maybe that one talent person using that one talent to pray for the church on a daily basis is as valuable, if not oh. more valuable, than the five talent person. Yeah, they're all valuable. They're, they're all, all valuable. Yes. And that if you think I'm only a one talent person, you shouldn't say I'm only a one talent person. Right. Because that one talent, if it's prayer or hospitality, or quietly caring about people, uh -huh. just asking, you know, um, that spirit, that spirit of Dorothy Abel's, I think these days is sorely lacking in the church. Yeah. Well. Um, and and I feel like, you know, as you felt the change when she died, I feel like all of us are feeling that change, are feeling that absence of the spirit in the church these days. Well, a lot of us don't know it's changed. Well, the younger, the younger generations, for sure, for sure, uh, yeah. don't know that it's changed. That's but those of us that are old enough to remember, yeah, um, I, I think we can feel it. And how do we, how do we get it back? The question is, you know, how do we, raise up more Dorothy Ableses. Yeah. And I guess it starts with practicing what she practiced ourselves. You, you just start somewhere. Yeah. Exactly right. You got to start somewhere. So is there anything else you want to say that we didn't talk about today with, with Dorothy? This would be the, or, or do you want to just pull out the old church directory now and read off all the names so that you're sure you don't miss anybody? <laughs> Well, we don't we don't have time to read all the names. I got to pick up a third grader from school here in a few minutes. Yeah. But all right, well, I'll end it this way. In every congregation, <clears throat> there are people that are that take a special interest in you, and I could start rattling off names going back to Akron, Ohio. And every so often, I have a prayer, and I thank God for each one of those individuals by name. Hmm. Some of them, some of them have gone home to be with the Lord. Some are still living. And so as I think of it, when I come to Ashland, Ohio, one of the first people I think of is Dorothy Ables. I think Dor Dorothy Ables has made your mother a better mother and a better wife and a better preacher's wife. Hmm. So, so Dorothy's way up there. There are other people that come to mind too. So if someone from Ashland is listening to this and I, I don't want them to be upset, but we could probably talk about them a little bit. Too. Everybody contributed in some way to yeah. my life, the life of our, of our family. Yeah, I think Dorothy is just people who knew her will agree with everything that that has been said here yeah. uh, today. But I think that the, the lesson or the encouragement to people who listen to this is that, um, you know, go and do likewise. Absolutely. You know, go and do likewise. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Dorothy, we've talked about her kids and their mission work. You think about her legacy. All of the people that know her and don't know her who have received the gospel um, and are um, walking with, with Christ today. Um, and she was just, she was just a person in a church in Ohio that raised good kids and prayed yeah, and did what she could. Um, if you're listening to this right now, 
you god has given you everything that god has given dorothy abels yeah it's there and and you can do the same thing but don't don't think for one moment that because you can't do much that it doesn't make a difference it it means everything yep uh to to a lot of people yeah so i hope dorothy's life inspires you to go and do likewise yep Thank you for being part of the Minister in the Making podcast. I hope the last hour was well worth it for you. If you're getting inspiration or wisdom from these podcasts, please share them with an elder, a fellow church member, or minister. And also don't forget to leave a good review on whatever podcast service you use. Next time, Dad and I will talk about church leadership, how it works and doesn't work, and what lessons he learned about church leadership during a decade of fast growth with the Steel Avenue Church of Christ. Dad will talk about his own leadership successes and failures and what he would do different now if he had another chance. Now, if you have a specific question you'd like for me to ask Dad, you can email it to me at bt at btirwin.com. That's B as in Bradley, T as in Travis, at btirwin.com. Meanwhile, if you want to keep up with Dad's health and treatment for cancer, you can click on the link to his Caring Bridge page in the show notes. Until next time, grace and peace.